From MIT Technology Review, I'm Laurel Ruma, and this is Business Lab, the show that helps business leaders make sense of new technologies coming out of the lab and into the marketplace. This episode is part of our Building the Future series. We're focusing on how organizations, researchers, and innovators are meeting our evolving global challenges. We understand the importance of inclusive conversations and have chosen to highlight the work of women on the cutting edge of technological innovation and business excellence. Our topic today is convergence. Innovation thrives when ideas from various fields, industries, and ways of thinking merge. Building the future is a big task. Industries and fields of study need to be reimagined to make way for new opportunities. Enabling this will allow us as a society to learn from, act on, and build toward purposeful sustainability, insightful data and artificial intelligence, and a meaningful metaverse. Two words for you, future forward. My guests are Kathleen O'Reilly and Dr. Daniela Roos. Kathleen is the Communications, Media, and Technology Industry Group Chair at Accenture and is a member of Accenture's Global Management Committee. Daniela is a professor of electrical engineering and computer science, as well as the director of the Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab, or CSAIL, at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Welcome, Kathleen and Daniela. Thank you. Thank you, wonderful to be here. So Daniela, let's start with you. What have you been working on? that excites you, and what challenges are you preparing for? Thank you for this excellent question. So do you remember when Mickey summons the broomstick in The Sorcerer's Apprentice? I've loved this piece ever since I can remember. The idea that you can animate and control everything around you. This is magic to Mickey, but today you don't need magic to make that sort of thing happen. Today, the kind of superpowers that seem to belong in storybooks can be achieved by mathematical models, computation, new materials, AI, robotics, this convergence of fields. And I'm for one fascinated by all the superpowers we can achieve uh, with these new technologies. I like to imagine a future with AI and robots supporting people with cognitive and physical tasks with the same pervasiveness with which smartphones support us with computing work. So how to get there? What do I do in order to aim in that direction? Well, my current interests are to make more capable robots with softer bodies, better brains, whether the brains are for robots or other kinds of systems that are enabled by new models for machine learning and to create more intuitive human machine interactions with machines adapting to people rather than the other way around. And so let me say a bit more about bodies and brains to be a little bit more concrete. So the past 60 years have defined the field of industrial robots and have empowered hard-bodied robots to execute complex assembly tasks in constrained industrial settings. Well, I believe the next 60 years will be ushering in uh, robots in human-centric environments and our time with robots helping people with physical tasks. Now, while the industrial robots of the past 60 years have mostly been inspired by the human form, um, they are humanoids, they are their uh, robot arms or their boxes on wheels, 
The next stage will be soft robots inspired by the animal kingdom with its form diversity and also by our built environments. So imagine your chair uh, turning into a robot. And the application potential is huge. The other thing I'd like to observe is that while the industrial robots of the past 60 years are made of hard plastics and metal, I believe the next 60 years will bring us machines made of all types of materials available to us naturally or through engineered processes, wood, plastic, paper, ice, even food. So in my lab, we are developing computational approaches for designing soft robots that are made out of a wide range of materials and also um, their brains that enable new applications. And so among these applications are robots that swim like fish and move like turtles, robots that brush your hair, robots that pack your groceries and can reason about how not to put milk on top of uh, bok choy, uh, robots <laughs> that recycle, robotic pills that enable incision-free surgeries. And in each of these advances, the body of the robot and the brain of the robot uh, needs to be designed and need to be um, worked with in a slightly different way uh, than we're currently used to. And so I would just like to say a couple of words about uh, these new ways, and in particular about uh, the brains, uh, because this connects to the broader field of AI and machine learning. And so when it comes to brains, whether the brain controls a robot or some other computational system, it is very important to know that today's greatest advances uh, are due to decades old ideas that are enhanced by vast amounts of data and computation. And so we need new ideas because without new technical ideas, more and more people will be staying within the same current techniques in deep neural networks and the results will be increasingly incremental. And so how, how to do this? How can we uh, get to the point where uh, we, we imagine machine learning uh, that, that is different from today's um, technologies and what aspects of machine learning should we be thinking about? Well, today's machine learning solutions also have some challenges. Uh, the first one is in the data. Uh, today's AI methods require data availability. That means massive data sets that have to be manually labeled and are not easily obtained in every field. The quality of the data has to be very high and it needs to include critical corner cases for the application at hand. If the data is bad or biased, then the performance of the model will be equally bad or biased. Uh, furthermore, these systems are black boxes. There is no way for users to learn anything about how the system reasons uh, by looking at the system's workings. And as a result, it is difficult to anticipate failure modes tied to rare inputs that could lead to potentially catastrophic consequences. And also we have robustness challenges. And so uh, we need to understand that these systems do not do deep reasoning. They mostly perform pattern matching. And so in my work, I am trying to address these current short shortcomings of machine learning. Uh, in other words, brittleness, uh, the huge size of the models, the large computation requirements, the lack of explainability, the bias. And what I'm most excited about is our new machine learning model we call liquid networks. This is a continuous time model with a novel equation for the artificial neuron 
that has biological inspiration and also wiring between neurons that is inspired by the wiring in the brains of small species. And it turns out that this model, liquid networks, yields to compact, explainable, and provably causal solutions that even have close form approximations. So we do not need the heavy computational machinery of uh, ODE solvers to train or do inference uh, in these systems. And so let me just give you a quick example. If you want a machine learning model to learn how to steer a car, well, if you use a deep neural network, then you're going to use about 100,000 neurons and a half a million parameters. A liquid network for the same task only requires 19 neurons. And this network has uh, extraordinarily sharp attention. In fact, the liquid network will make decisions uh, by looking at the road horizon and by looking at the uh, sides of the road at the road horizon, whereas the deep neural network will be looking at all the bushes on the side of the road. So there are so many advantages uh, with these uh, new types of machine learning, and I'm very excited about the potential. No, that's that's fascinating. But how do we specifically, you know, think about the evolution of technologies like machine learning in real world situations? You mentioned um, a robot pill, and and I imagine soft robots can even reach places that others can't. So there seems to be a lot of possible um, applications there. Well, the possibilities are endless, and uh, I'm especially uh, excited about empowering people uh, with what seems like superpowers that belong to storybooks. But I'm also interested in how these technologies are broadly impacting industries. And I believe that in the future, these new technologies have the potential to reduce and even eliminate car accidents. They have the potential to better monitor, diagnose, and treat disease. Uh, they will keep your information safe and private. They will transport people and things faster and, um, and, and cheaper. They will make it easier to communicate globally. They will deliver education to everyone. In other words, these technologies will allow human workers to focus on bigger picture tasks like critical thinking and strategy. And all the fields that have data can benefit. And so, uh, for example, in medicine, we have a lot of data. And uh, machines today can look at more radiology scans in a day than a radiologist will see in an entire lifetime. And uh, uh, so let me give you an example from, um, from an experiment uh, where machine learning and doctors were given images of lymph node cells and were asked to diagnose cancer or not cancer. And on its own, the machine learning system had an error rate of 7.5%, which is worse than the 3.5% rate um, of the human pathologist. But when both the machine learning system and the pathologist worked together, the error rate went down by 80% to only 0.5%, which is extraordinary, right? So it's about how can we steer these tools to help empower us in our decision-making. So now I would observe that today these systems may be deployed in the world's most advanced cancer treatment centers. But imagine a future where every practitioner, even those working in small practices in rural settings, had access to these systems. Word doctor may not have the time to review every new study or clinical trial, but working in tandem with these systems, the doctor will offer patients 
the most cutting edge diagnosis and um, treatment options. And, and, and these possibilities are, are so broad. They, they go beyond um, medicine. They go, um, they impact every industry uh, that, has, um, that has data and that can really use machine learning and AI as an uh, enabler. And so this includes, um, it includes uh, using AI and data-driven decision-making to improve organization efficiency. It includes using computation to create uh, optimized, dedicated AI hardware and then use it for new products. So um, what is exciting is, is this convergence uh, in interests between universities where many of the new ideas originate and companies um, uh, which take the ideas and turn them into, into products. And I, I just wanna say that university industry collaborations uh, can be a really solid foundation for this kind of uh, future progress because these university industry collaborations drive innovation. Um, they, the relationships are symbiotic uh, with universities pushing the boundaries of knowledge, uh, leading the science, training the future workforce, and companies having the opportunity to see around the corner, to see the next big ideas early and consider their implications. In fact, there is an, an NSF program. Uh, it's called the NSF Industry University Cooperative Research Centers Program. And as part of this um, program, it was calculated that every dollar put into a partnership by a company is leveraged 40 times. And so imagine uh, all the possibilities um, when we think about the convergence uh, between industry and the academy. There are so many opportunities. However, I just want to end by saying to be successful, it is important to have the required AI infrastructure to have an educated AI workforce, and to have AI adoption and acceleration capabilities. Thank you, Danielle. You've certainly covered quite a bit, but Kathleen, I'm, I'm hooked on that idea of innovation and convergence and um, that idea of business and academia coming together. So what trends are you seeing within Accenture and with clients? Like, How does that pairing of strategy and technology, including bleeding edge technology that Danielle just worked us through, how can it help companies innovate? Yeah, thanks, Laurel. And I uh, I couldn't agree more with uh, with Daniela's point and 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 your question in terms of um, the power of the coming together of um, institutions that push uh, push the boundaries of science and technology and knowledge and business. And that certainly underpins. I guess I'll take your second part of your question first. Is uh, you know how how do we see strategy and technology coming together? And I think at the at the end of the day, where we are right now is that um, underpinning really any successful strategy, what we're seeing for clients that want to lead, for companies that want to lead, need to lead, and are pushing the boundaries, technology underpins those strategies. Um, and we are seeing with the exponential pace of technological innovation, which we believe is going to continue, um, that this is really creating an opportunity for one of the most exciting periods of positive change and progress for all of history. And it's that combination of uh, technology and human ingenuity, as we say, and as Danielle just alluded to in her medical example um, on cancer treatment, that is really where the greatest value and the greatest impact 
um, is going to come. Um, so we believe the companies uh, which are going to be leaders in the next decade are going to need to harness five forces. And all of these forces are going to require technology and ingenuity to come together. They're going to require organizations to work across all elements of their organization, to work with new partners, to expand into new areas and ecosystems, to learn and collaborate with innovators across industry, as well as uh, across industry and academia and beyond to really push the boundaries of science and impact. Um, so the five forces that we see right now, the trends that we're seeing that are impacting our clients the most, um, really, uh, uh, really start with what we believe underpins everything right now. And that is something we're calling total enterprise reinvention. And we really started to see this come, uh, come to the fore as we moved through COVID. And what we're seeing now is that as companies are looking to uh, to enter these new waves of change and opportunity, that they're needing to execute strategies to under change and transform all parts of their business through technology, data, and AI, uh, as Daniela just talked about, um, to enable new ways of growth, new ways of engaging customers, new business models, new opportunities, but they're doing it in a very different way. Um, they're doing it in a way where they're looking at every part of their organization and the technology and digital core that underpins it at the same time. So we believe we're in the early stages of this profound change, but we believe it's gonna be the biggest change since the industrial revolution. And embracing total enterprise reinvention often requires something um, that we call compressed transformation, which are bold transformational programs that, as I said, span the entire organization with different groups working together in ways that they never did before in parallel, but in very accelerated timeframes and underpinning all this uh, is bleeding edge technology, data, and AI. At the same time, the second trend we're seeing with our clients, and we certainly are all reading about it and hearing about it for the past uh, few years is the power of talent and the importance of the human side of this equation. And we think that um, the, one of the forces that's gonna shape the next decade um, with talent at front and center is not just the ability to access talent, um, but really for organizations to learn to be creators of talent, not just consumers, to unlock the potential of the humans in their workforce. And that's going to require technology uh, to unlock that uh, potential. And again, as Daniela just gave in some of her examples, to complement the talent that they have in their organization. The third is sustainability. Um, that trend is, uh, I, I would say personally, I'm very pleased to see this trend underpinning everything and uh, that we're doing and everything that our clients are thinking about right now. We believe that every business needs to be a sustainable business and every industry is looking at this in the way that is unique to their industries. But whether it's consumers, employees, business partners, regulators or investors, we know that we're moving in a direction where companies are being required to act, um, to make uh, a change, not just around climate and energy, but areas like food insecurity and, and equality. All of those issues are coming to the fore. And underpinning this, again, is the ability to leverage new bleeding technologies to accelerate the pace of change and find solutions to the issues that we're facing as a planet and across society. 
The fourth force that we're seeing um, is the metaverse. Now, there's been a lot of confusion and a lot of talk about the metaverse, but our view is that the metaverse is a continuum, and we're seeing this come to the fore in the marketplace right now. Um, so as we look at um, the metaverse and how that's going to impact, just if you think all the way back to when you know the internet was in its early stages, we believe that the impact is going to be that great. And while it's early stages and not everybody can see exactly how the impact is going to be there, we believe that this is going to impact not just consumers, and of course, you know, interesting areas like virtual reality and artificial, um, uh, you know, using AI to, uh, to bring new experiences to life, but also uh, to look at extended reality, to look at digital twins, smart objects. So how do cars and factories run? What's happening with edge computing? Um, looking at blockchain and new ways of payment. All of those things are going to change the way businesses operate and really the way society operates. And we believe that this is going to underpin change as we move forward over the next uh, five to 10 years. And then lastly, the fifth force is what we're calling ongoing tech revolution. And the ongoing tech revolution is a pretty broad, expansive category, um, often uh, pushed by uh, our, our friends in the uh, academia world um, around science. But we believe in the coming decade, the pace of technological innovation is not just going to continue, but accelerate, um, which we believe is going to create positive change. So new technology, whether it's in quantum computing uh, or it's in areas, as I said, like you know blockchain or material science or biology or even space, we believe this is going to open brand new areas of opportunity. And all of these things are allowing uh, companies, our clients, um, to find new ways to not just serve their customers, but to monetize their investments, to impact society, to impact their employees, and to drive positive change for their business, as well as for the world around them. Yeah, Kathleen, I feel like some of that acceleration happened in these last few pandemic years, so that businesses and yeah, consumers are operating differently from, you know, remote healthcare solutions to digital payments, uh, greater expectations of those kind of immersive virtual experiences. But how can organizations and technologists alike then continue to innovate to anticipate the future or as Accenture likes to say, learn from the future? You have some good examples there, but, you know, the, the five different areas all kind of also lead to this acceptance of change. Yeah, they do. And they also lead to um, embedding data in everything, in new ways, um, into every change that, uh, that organizations are, are putting forward. So um, when we think of learning for you the future, um, we think about organizations who are, and leaders who are constantly seeking new data and insights, not just from inside their organization, but from outside their organization's four walls. So we like to use the, you know, the phrase intentional futurists. So these are, these are um, people and leaders and organizations um, who use AI-based analysis to find patterns, anticipate trends, detect new sources of growth opportunities, understand um, their consumers, their customers, uh, other enterprises, the markets, and their employees better. Um, so for example, we know AI is transforming agriculture at a time when climate change, as I just referenced with sustainability, makes feeding the world more challenging uh, than ever, not to mention some of the broader uh, issues that we're all uh, seeing emerge around the world from a geopolitical standpoint. Advanced agricultural technologies employ sensors, cameras, connectivity to collect and process historical and real-time data on planting conditions, weather 
uh, patterns uh, and crop health. And AI enables the farmers to manage at the individual plant level and optimize the production around consistent high quality crops. So it's technology and the use of technology combined uh, with the human side that is going to drive that kind of change. And we know that COVID prompted an acceleration into uh, these areas of uh, businesses wanting to learn from the future, see around the corners, if you will, understand those patterns, as well as invest more quickly into new technologies, uh, particularly cloud platforms. And with those cloud platforms comes the privilege and, uh, you know, I would say the responsibility of having access and use of significant amounts of data. And with responsibility, Danielle, I'll reference what you just talked about, for example, ensuring that responsible AI and how is bias handled is an example. These are new areas that we need to be thinking about, but we also know that in the next frontier of better data utilization, we have to think differently about how we use AI. We believe that by 2025, uh, we're gonna create an estimated 180 uh, zettabytes of data, but right now only 11% of the data created and captured is useful for analysis and only 44% of that data is actually used in practice. So we are completely underutilizing what we have access to and we need to think about that. So we call this, and uh, Accenture you know, publishes this tech vision every year, um, and we, you know, we call this computing the impossible. So how do you use high performance computers or parallel processing supercomputers um, to really more quickly synthesize data and forecast outcomes and figure out new areas of opportunity, new possibilities in solving big issues. And so we know that innovation is all about creating those new ideas and the data is going to underpin that. But again, when combined with the power of human ingenuity to design the strategies and how to use these things responsibly. So if I might just jump in, I just want to underscore um, what uh, you have just said, Kathleen. Uh, the underutilization of data is extraordinary, and we, we really need to be thoughtful about how to move forward. Uh, we need to find which data is important data and which data is not so important. And uh, then we need to uh, we need to see how to harness uh, the important data. Absolutely. And I love that phrase, intentional futurist. Daniela, what you were talking to us before really kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? So if successful innovation is a convergence of those types of ideas, industries, and, and those lines of research, how are you seeing this actually kind of play out in practice? Well, so I loved what Kathleen um, called compressed transformation uh, with different uh, groups of people coming together. And I think this is exactly how we need to think about bringing the greatest ideas from the academy together uh, with the greatest uh, business minds to make impact, um, practical impact on the world. But we need to be thoughtful and careful about creating private-public government partnerships uh, that leverage the contributions of each entity uh, because new products require the exciting ideas from the academy. Uh, they require the, the business minds of the people who understand uh, what is marketable and, and useful and what is not. But then it also requires the policy side. It requires the, the, the regulation that talks about how all of this uh, should be done in a way that is positive for the world. And so this kind of convergence of, uh, of people with different backgrounds and different lenses about the ideas and the technology is important. And I'd like to give you an example. 
In 2019, MIT started a research partnership uh, we call the AI Accelerator where the accelerator objective uh, is, is to speed up the development of the science of AI and also of the path from research to innovation and domain relevant products. Now the current partnership is between MIT campus, MIT Lincoln Lab and the US Air Force. And together these three entities are defining a converging fruitful collaboration with contributions to science and knowledge in general but also with the aim of bringing the rapidly developed new tools and innovation uh, to um, national security. And we have MIT researchers who are leading the development of the science, and they're working shoulder to shoulder with Lincoln Lab and Air Force researchers. So we have these integrated teams that bring all the stakeholders to the same level of knowledge and understanding. And then the idea is that um, Lincoln Lab and the Air Force can partner on developing products beyond the research grade ideas that are being developed as part of this program. And applications uh, in diverse areas such as disaster relief, weather modeling, uh, which is so important for understanding climate, medical readiness, and really many other broad societal topics that are of great interest uh, to the world. And so these interdisciplinary teams with experts from AI, from MIT, domain experts from the Air Force and experts from MIT Lincoln Lab who understand both AI and the, the domain accelerate both the science advances, but also the adoption of AI in the DOD. So this is an example of how converging teams uh, can, can really uh, speed up the innovation and also the adoption of that uh, innovation. So let me also say that broad adoption of AI also requires collaborations with policymakers who ensure that the deployments are positive and support the greater good. So we need conversations between technologists, business leaders, and policymakers uh, to get to positive and responsible adoption and deployments. But we don't need our policymakers to understand the intricate mathematical details of how AI works. However, we do need to educate everybody, our leaders and our citizens broadly about technology and about the impacts of our choices so that we can make the right ones. And I believe that it's, it's important to think about five vital questions in order to build a common understanding. The first question is, what can we do? Uh, in other words, what's really possible with technology and where can we improve? The second, what can't we do? In other words, what is not yet possible? And then we have to think about what should we do? What shouldn't we do? Because there are things about technology that we should rule out. For example, we shouldn't be building better tools to enable disinformation. And also finally, what must we do? Because I believe we have an obligation to consider how AI and machine learning can help because ultimately um, this is what it's all about. And whether you're a technologist, a national security leader, a policymaker, or a human being, uh, we all have a moral obligation to use the AI tools to make our world safer and better and to make the lives of uh, our citizens safer and better in a just and equitable way. 
Yeah, I like that um, idea of really bringing it home because it is for each person as well to have a safer and better life. So Kathleen, that same question to you, how is this convergence of ideas coming through in practice from leadership and research and industry innovation? Yeah, we're definitely seeing it uh, from, a, from a business perspective also. First of all, we're certainly seeing um, you know, companies and leaders looking across industries to make sure that they are learning from, you know, others and how they're using assets and tools and what new methodologies are, are making a change in their business. They're applying what others are learning quickly. Um, I, I actually think that what we saw happen um, in the pharmaceutical or life sciences industry during COVID was the beginning of uh, my own observation, a new period of collaboration, both within industry, certainly within organizations, across organizations, as I referenced earlier, but within industries and across industries. And we're seeing, uh, we're seeing leadership driving for, yes, I need to understand my market, my business, my customers, but I also need to understand how everybody else is using innovation, the technology out there, and making sure that they're learning versus reinventing a wheel, because there is an there is an imperative uh, to move uh, to move quickly. Um, we're also seeing that you know of course clients and their partners are diversifying, entering new and adjacent industries, anticipating trends, understanding what's happening, where there may be some new value pools. So those are probably more the some of the more obvious areas. And certainly um, you know an example of this could be you know in e-commerce, something we've been talking about for for years, I guess decades at this point. You know in advancements in consumer goods and new insights. You know in um, in that area, or in let's say banking or security, are actually shaping, you know, in my world, um, how you know some of the social platforms are thinking that they will advertise and monetize uh, those investments and set up new marketplaces while also protecting their data. So we're seeing industries learning from each other. If I take it a step further, uh, you know, I'll go to the high tech industry, um, you know, and looking at, you know, how do you enable double digit growth or long term growth? Trailblazers in this industry are really looking at other industries and new parts of the value chain. So, you know, we recently did a survey of high tech industry executives and 87% of them agreed that convergence is a growth enabler, that multiple industries are ripe for tech led disruption um, and that, uh, the high tech company skills and capabilities are going to be able to change those industries and create new opportunities. So, you know, three examples of this automotive, we all hear about smart mobility, whether it's autonomous boats and cars and trucks or drones, you know, military vehicles, all of those areas, how is that coming to the fore and what will that change? And again, I'll harken back to my earlier statements where these forces kind of tie together, it also ties to ensuring that sustainability is built into everything that we're doing, leveraging that new technology. Uh, another area is connected infrastructure. Certainly, I spend a lot of time with, uh, with my clients talking about edge and 5G enablement and the, uh, the use cases for 5G as that comes into the fore. So think of things like smart buildings, smart grid, you know, what are the energy and utilities companies doing um, to manage their businesses and how can that be leveraged? Or another area that it's probably, you know, all of us are experiencing is digital health, AI powered smart hospitals, fitness wearables, probably all of us, uh, you know, have, uh, have, have seen those, if not are wearing them ourselves, um, or even during COVID, if you think about, you know, contact tracing and uh, some of the apps that came up there. So in all of these areas, um, we're seeing uh, industries looking across industry, both to learn as well as to expand 
and to innovate together. Um, so it's creating new solutions, it's new approaches to R&D and product development with a real customer-centric lens. Um, it's ways to leverage your install base to find new markets and capitalize with new products. Uh, it's enabling new strategic alliances that we're seeing pop up you know, across the board. And sometimes those cannibalized parts of businesses, but almost always lead to new innovative areas that drive greater value. And then certainly we're seeing some, uh, some inorganic change uh, with, you know, mergers and acquisitions and new capabilities and organizations coming together in different ways. And then lastly, on leadership, I would say there has been uh, happily a really big push on creating uh, cultures of innovation um, and not just, um, you know, creating a culture and a mindset for innovation, but underpinning that with um, a culture of diversity and equality, which we know uh, really puts the structure in place for innovation to take place uh, wherever that may happen. I, I like the idea of, of having structure in place for innovation, right? Then you're actually building that as part of the culture of, of a company, of a group of people, a group of ideas. You did mention, though, smart grids and smart buildings and this idea of sustainability. But why is it so critical to address challenges, big challenges like this, like sustainability, with an inclusive approach to innovation? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question, Laurel. I think... Um... And I would say sustainability is one, but you know, I've mentioned a few times my, you know, at least our perspective, we look at impact in businesses, but also in society as a whole. Some of the biggest issues we're facing are going to require us coming together in different ways. Um, you know, hopefully uh, COVID and uh, that pandemic are, you know, more in the rearview mirror than not, but uh, there are going to, disruption is going to continue and the unexpected is going to happen. And we need to be prepared for that. And in order to be prepared for that, um, we need to be prepared to come together in an inclusive uh, way, both within organizations and again, across organizations. And you know, certainly by intentionally engaging people, whether it's a broader set of employees, a broader set of stakeholders or companies or markets, or even um, customers, undertapped, um, underserved populations, uh, the voices that we haven't traditionally heard from, we know that we, we you know, the data tells us that that drives a stronger, broader set of thinking and pushes us into new areas and expands ways of thinking that wouldn't normally happen if you don't have all the right voices in the room, if you will, even if it's a virtual room, uh, which we certainly know that, you know, things, new technologies and new areas like the metaverse uh, are going to allow us to bring people together in ways that never could have happened before, hopefully to solve problems uh, in, a, in a much more inclusive and rapid way. But bringing those voices together uh, is maybe, a, you know, a statement of obvious, of the obvious, but we also know um, that there's some data behind this. You know, Accenture's research tells us that um, in organizations um, with an innovation mindset, um, but that also has an equal culture, and this is just within organizations, um, that the innovation mindset is six times higher in organizations or um, you know, organizations or companies that have more equal cultures um, than least equal ones. We know that employees in equal cultures where they are included and brought together in ways that allow their voice to be heard um, see much less in terms of barriers uh, to innovation. As a matter of fact, 
in organizations that are more equal in their approach and have more of an equality and diverse uh, viewpoint mindset, 40% um, of the employees see that they nothing stops them from innovating versus in organizations that don't have that kind of a mindset, um, only 7% believe that they can they can innovate. And so first of all, there's just there's just something underpinning about bringing all those pieces together, but there's also data that says that that drives a very different set of outcomes. And if you think about solving for sustainability, which is you know one of the big, big, big issues of our day, and, and in this case, let's just talk about climate because I've mentioned um, that before, um, that's going to require all of those voices to be heard um, and all of the, the, uh, the perspectives. Um, we also see that organizations are using inclusion um, to underpin their growth strategy. So many companies need to reach new customers, new markets. They need to achieve their growth ambitions, but they need to get beyond their current uh, target audience, if you will, and to reach unreached populations or underserved populations. And in order to reach them, you need to innovate with inclusion in mind. So in the tech world, you know, my world, tech companies have a business imperative to close the digital divide. There are three and a half billion people in the world that are not using the internet because they don't have access or lack the digital literacy needed to benefit from that revolution uh, that you know, we've all benefited from. Companies like Google with their next billion users initiative are innovating inclusively to reach those consumers. And of course that will allow them to continue to innovate. Same thing in banking, the 2 billion adults don't use formal financial services. So leaders like MasterCard in order to grow are designing inclusive ways to address the pain points of these people, whether it's small uh, farmers, factory workers, low income uh, you know, consumers. And that financial inclusion is going to not just benefit society, but also benefit uh, the businesses that are doing that. And the same thing happens with you know, employees. As I mentioned, if you include employees in a different kind of way, you're gonna get a very different outcome from a business perspective in terms of their ability to see new solutions um, and help you drive your business forward. And so if you go back to sustainability, in order to solve the issues um, that we're seeing around sustainability and particularly climate, we know that we need to think broadly and bring all the skills to the table on this. And that, whether that is, uh, you know, technological innovation and the knowledge sets around, you know, things like digital twins or creating physical prototypes or use of blockchain to enhance traceability, AI to understand customer experiences. All of these areas are critical for us to solve uh, the crisis in front of us from a sustainability standpoint, particularly a climate standpoint. And we know that that's going to take all those voices being at the table. And Danielle, Kathleen just really outlined some great examples of the challenges that enterprises have with not just sustainability, but also artificial intelligence and, and building the next future of work. How can artificial intelligence and other kind of technologies help with these big challenges? So, yes, I, I so agree with everything Kathleen um, explained about how diversity drives innovation and drives better solutions. Now, um, sustainability, we can, we can talk about sustainability at multiple levels. And I would like to start by underscoring that uh, from a planetary point of view, AI can play an enormous role in, um, in sustainability. And it can do so by generating better insights, by helping us to collect and analyze data from vast sensor networks that monitor the oceans, the greenhouse, climate, other planet uh, conditions. Um, AI can also help businesses uh, better monitor how they are um, expanding um, and using 
their resources with a sustainability goal in mind. AI innovations can help optimize all our activities and um, our, our carbon footprint and our energy footprint to slow the impacts of warming. And this is whether through optimizing the electricity utilization, um, the electricity cost of technology, uh, making transportation more efficient, um, and um, other, and also in other areas like uh, monitoring and stopping deforestation, pre preserving biodiversity, ensuring that there is enough food to go around and food does not get uh, wasted. Uh, but to do all of these, uh, all of these things, whether at the planetary scale, at, at an individual scale, or for a business, AI systems consume enormous amounts of energy. And it's important to talk about that. Researchers at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst estimated that training a medium-sized language model produces 626,000 pounds of carbon dioxide. This is equal to the lifetime emissions of five cars. That's an enormous amount of, of energy. And a lot of these models are being trained right now. And so that's just for one average model. Um, I, it also, um, uh, I also know that it costs $4.6 million in energy to train the GPT-3 language model, which is the foundation of the recently released chat GPT you may have played with. So the more pervasive AI becomes, the more of these models will be needed. And uh, these examples really highlight a place where policy action to combat emissions and to invest in renewable forms of energy can complement technological improvements. But technological improvements are critical. Uh, the, the AI systems are so costly because each one contains hundreds of thousands of artificial neurons and millions of interconnections. And so if we can develop simpler models, this can drastically reduce the carbon footprint of AI and make technology, machine learning technology, more sustainable. Now, some companies are placing their data centers next to renewable energy sources as a potential solution. Uh, but there is also the opportunity to, uh, to tackle some of the, the questions around the size of the model. We are already making progress on creating simpler models. Uh, for example, our own work with closed form liquid networks aims to provide a more sustainable solution for machine learning. Thank you. And to, Kathleen, just thinking about this as a holistic kind of view, there's so much in this one conversation that we've had, so much possibility and, and opportunity. How do you see the ideas of convergence really evolving in the next three to five years? Because there is that immediacy, there's an urgency, and there's sort of an excitement to actually, let's get on with it. Yeah, I think, um, well, I think the first thing is I think it's gonna continue to accelerate as technological change pushes all of us and the needs of businesses and the needs of our world push us. Um, that urgency to move on and to push our thinking um, are going to force us into even uh, new ways of bringing new ideas, converged ideas, collaboration to the table. Um, and, uh, you know, and so we, I think over the next three to five years, besides just the acceleration, you know, one of the things that, that we think is going to continue to um, 
you know, to, to accelerate is um, various organizations coming together in new ways. So if we think about how one can leverage all those five forces, we believe that the continuation of that change in technology as that advances and critical talent and natural resources become more scarce, uh, organizations may need to come together in different ways, and that may mean even formally. So we believe that, you know, the pace of, um, you know, M&A, as well as even divestitures to streamline core competencies, to bring new capabilities together in new ways, uh, different business models, different organizational models uh, will continue to accelerate. We're certainly seeing that. I mean, 36% of M&A deals, uh, according to our research, um, have the main motivation right now to acquire new innovative technologies and capabilities. And this is up as much as four to five times in certain industries like the health industry, the life sciences industry, the chemicals industry and beyond. And so bringing new capabilities together as well as streamlining core capabilities and understanding what you need and what you can borrow from others, what you can partner with others in, in your ecosystem uh, is gonna accelerate. Um, the second thing that you know, I think we, we believe about some of these more structural changes um, is that if you look at you know, the technology sector, uh, you know, where I spend a uh, majority of my time, um, acquisitive companies in the technology sector you know, over the past few years where we've seen a lot of activity have generated 95% more return for shareholders compared to the sector average. So again, I think that's going to continue to push the thinking in that space. Um, we also think that um, organizations will continue to, as I mentioned, streamline in their core competencies, have an openness, more of an openness to shared capabilities, whether that's front and back offices, services, or consortiums among companies um, who may at one time have been competitors but recognize that if they come together in new and appropriate ways, um, they can bring some new, uh, some new capabilities and new solutions to market. So we believe we're going to see more of that. Um, and I think, you know, if you, if you look at across, um, you know, kind of the next three to five to 10 years, what we know is that the future that's in front of us for all of these companies is going to be completely different than probably what they were originally designed for. So over the next decade, we believe most companies, as I mentioned, are going to completely need to transform their business. Um, and that's going to mean transforming the environment in which we do businesses, do business. It also means that they're going to need to accelerate their investment in technology. So we believe that that's going to continue to move forward um, to really uh, whether that's on delayed cloud migrations or it's whether it's their use of AI and analytics and those things that have been sidelined in the past, most, uh, most clients we're talking to are saying, how do I go faster? I can see the power of this. I can see the power of technology. And if I don't invest, I'm going to be left behind. And so we believe that that, uh, that day for investing, uh, accelerating in the digital, uh, accelerating technology, accelerating in data and AI is only going to move more quickly uh, as we move forward. And Daniela, same question for you. How are you seeing these next three to five years and how convergence will evolve and, and really accelerate? So I don't know exactly what will happen, but I would like to highlight three things that I would like to see happen. And um, the first one um, is, um, is about seeing more programs like the MIT AI Accelerator Program, because the convergence of expertise across disciplines and across public, private, uh, government partnerships will truly enable great growth. University private partnerships are symbiotic and they will enable innovation and progress. I believe we will also see broader adoption of AI with tools like uh, Chat GPT 
um, that are developed within a research context, but that will be adopted uh, within a business context. And we will see new ideas and new applications of AI to enable discovery and address some of the grand challenges that companies are facing and also that humanity is facing. And um, these challenges, many of these challenges can only be addressed in a multidisciplinary way. Um, second, I believe we will get serious about sustainability and in particular about sustainable AI and sustainable technologies. Uh, this is important from a, uh, from a technological development point of view. This is also critical for the future of our planet and everything that lives on it. And um, third, I think we will get more serious about AI and privacy because privacy is an example where the underlying technology needs to evolve. And it's super important uh, since machine learning is so um, rooted uh, in, in data. Um, for example, AI and computation hold so much potential to help in areas like healthcare. And um, I just want to highlight that MIT researchers were able to leverage AI to synthesize a new antibiotic, the first one created in 40 years. And this has created an opportunity for us to imagine if this work could be extended to synthesize customized medicines allocated to individuals based on their environment and circumstances and generated on the fly. So I don't mean personalized healthcare, I mean individualized healthcare, an individualized cocktail of pills that is just right uh, for the patient. But uh, of course, to get there, we need data. And anytime uh, we use data, uh, we need to consider risks to privacy whether it's in healthcare or in insurance or in any other uh, um, industry. So we, um, we can address the privacy challenge with regulation, um, but technological breakthroughs can also make this easier. And we are already seeing great advances uh, in homomorphic encryption that allow us to use data without decrypting it. And so organizations that need information, for instance, your insurance company can post queries against a vast pool of data without ever decrypting the data itself. And so if we can get this right, we can create and learn from the largest pools of knowledge ever created and never risk the types of exposures uh, that we see today. So I'm a technologist optimist, <laughs> and I believe that... Um, that these positive um, advancements and positive, uh, positive outcomes can happen and will happen, especially if we have conversations like this one today. <laughs> Excellent. Daniela and Kathleen, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business Lab. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. That was Kathleen O'Reilly of Accenture and Daniela Roos of MIT, who I spoke with from Cambridge, Massachusetts the home of MIT and MIT Technology Review, overlooking the Charles River. That's it for this episode of Business Lab. I'm your host, Laurel Ruma. I'm the Global Director of Insights, the custom publishing division of MIT Technology Review. We were founded in 1899 at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And you can also find us in print 
on the web and at events each year around the world. For more information about us and the show, please check out our website at technologyreview.com. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll take a moment to rate and review us. Business Lab is a production of MIT Technology Review. This episode was produced by Jiro Studios. Thanks for listening.